Hey everybody, welcome to yet another episode of the Post Post Podcast, where I talk to creative minds about their inspiring professional journeys. I'm your host, David Gidali, and this is episode 22. My guest today is Janelle Kroshar-Rala. She's a visual effects supervisor whose most recent project was Captain Marvel. She was a second unit visual effects supervisor, client side for Marvel, working on the de-aging of Samuel L. Jackson, mostly, but a lot of other shots in the movie as well. Uh, apart from that, most notably, she was also visual effects supervisor for her, Spike Jones' amazing sci-fi film starring Joaquin Phoenix. She also worked as a lighting supervisor on The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, which was at the time one of the most groundbreaking films, where in order to achieve the effect of Brad Pitt's character aging in reverse throughout his life, they had to CG reconstruct his head and put him back into shots seamlessly, which was unheard of at the time. And she was right at the center of this process and uh, responsible for this amazing achievement. Apart from that, she also worked on other Spike Jones projects. Most recently, she worked on an Apple ad called Welcome Home, which featured a lot of amazing practical effects, but also quite a few seamless visual effects, which you can't really talk about. And she's also collaborated several times with Chris Milk, with whom she's also transitioned into VR, creating famous experience like the evolution of Verse. With this new Marvel film marking a new high and an already impressive career, and a second child on the way, we talked about how these recent events have started reshaping her outlook on her own career, her family, and even her role in this world that her kids are going to grow in. And there you go. I, I'm really excited and honored to have her on this podcast. I hope you guys are going to enjoy this episode as much as I did. And I really appreciate her lending her time and sitting down and talk to us. Finally, since we're talking about family in this episode, a major reason this episode is a week late is because I welcomed my first son to the world uh, last Tuesday. So really exciting. I'm not getting a lot of sleep, but I'm still trying to squeeze uh, more and more podcasts in. So as always, if you enjoy these episodes and you want them to keep coming, don't forget to like them and comment on them and share them with your friends on whatever platform it is that you like. You can also email me. Also, don't hesitate to visit the podcast website and this episode's page to see more links and information about the guest. And that's it. Without further ado, I give you episode 22 of the Post Post Podcast. Janelle, welcome. Thanks so much for coming. Thank you. Um, you came a long way. You live uh, very far, close to the beach, right? Yeah, I'm on the west side, down in uh, Playa del Rey. Sleepy gotcha. little beach town. And uh, is there a reason you moved there? Is that close to anything? or to You know, I've always, um, I've been off and on in Los Angeles for over 20 years now, and I've lived all over LA and I've oftentimes kind of gravitated towards there and we ended up buying a house there like five, six years ago. Oh, cool. So it's, it's kind of a pain in the butt when I'm working at the studios up in Burbank. Um, mm. It's a long commute, but, uh, but it's actually a great little beach town. It's not, not as busy and crowded as the other ones. Right. And it's not too far from, I mean, Burbank is, uh, it's far from you, but we're now in, West, in North Hollywood. So I guess it's kind of close to your regular commute. It's not, uh, um, and, uh, and is there a reason you think you got, you gravitated towards it, the beach or is it? I think it's like an affordable beach town. You have to put mm. up with some of the LAX noise, right. but it's kind of a sleepy little beach town too. It's, um, you know, there's there are some new restaurants and whatnot, but I think that compared to Santa Monica or Manhattan Beach, it's um, 
it's just not as crowded and you know you can it's it's nice you're by the beach it's actually we travel so much that it's not a bad thing to be that close to LAX oh yeah so yeah so it's nice you have to cross the wetlands to get to it which is always a cool little drive when there's not too much traffic so it's kind of fun you feel like you're out in nature even though you're right in the middle of the city yeah, I love that area. It looks, it really does look different than most of LA, and it's, uh, it feels kind of remote, even though it's mm-hmm. pretty close, and especially to, to LAX. Um, and um, since we're just beginning the, the this episode, I uh, I should introduce you, or at least uh, uh, mention that uh, you are currently working as a visual effects supervisor, right? And mm-hmm. uh, I know one of the re- most recent big projects you worked on was Marvel's. Uh, uh, Captain uh, Marvel, mm-hmm. and um, you were additional VFX supervisor on that. You were, you were in charge of the uh, de aging of Samuel L. Jackson in that film, which I thought was amazing. Thank uh, you. And uh, to people who haven't seen the film, it's a period piece, right? I think it takes takes place in the eighties, in the nineties. And uh, Sam Jackson, who plays Fury in all the current Marvel films, is obviously was a bit younger in the nineties, and. Uh, uh, you guys had to take all of his performances and kind of de-age them. So um, that was great. What are, what are the current projects? I, I mean, from briefly talking before this uh, podcast, you mentioned that you're working on four different shows right now. Or Yeah, I, have, I mean, it's kind of fun because I'm, um, I'm working from home for the most part, which is great. Just have an office set up at home. And my main, um, my main project is um, a miniseries called Mrs. America. Oh. And the Captain Marvel directors, um, Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck, um, they are directing four of the nine episodes, and they're also producers on it. And so, you know, they brought me on. And it's is that a, a narrative? It's a. Um, it takes place in the '70s, and it's about you know the women's rights movement. Right. And Kate Blanchett plays a woman named Phyllis Schlafly, who is a conservative housewife who. Basically, rose up, brought you know, rose up all the housewives in America and kind of took down the Equal Rights Amendment. And so you have a lot of um, feminists, you know, Gloria Steinem, mm-hmm. Bella Abzug, you know, and um, it's this great cast. Rose Byrne. It's wow. it's pretty cool. Is so. it going to air? Do you know uh, what the? I don't know. It's maybe be next. Um, well, it's FX Network. Oh, okay. FX. And maybe. Um, and I don't know when exactly. Right. Next spring or summer, hopefully. What kind of effects do you guys uh, have there? You know, um, it's not, it's not heavy visual effects at all, um, but you know, periodization, mm-hmm. crowd duplication. Um, there's, uh, you know, I, I mean, I can't really get into to too much more, right. but you know, there's just the each episode has its own, own it's little kind thing. Of a, all, all you know a full meal course i guess of different types of effects yeah. is that is that something that you do often and they're or? seamless they're realistic right. effects obviously there's no photon blasts or uh yeah you know big explosions so i'm curious because uh and and you're working on other projects as well do you want to talk about them as well yeah i mean i can't actually talk about them um give too many details about them but um you know working with spike jones on something um and also, you know, doing a, um, a digital human for an immersive platform. Um, also, 
doing an, an augmented reality um, project uh, that I can't even really say who it's wow. with. And those are, you know, those are all much small. You know, they're taking very small amounts of my time. Right. Um, and I'm sure the the length, like for a VR or, or AR project, it's you're talking about a shorter like span than you know a series or 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 a big film. Um, that's cool. I mean, just listening to that, it's like the I think a dream of any VFX you know, aspiring VFX supervisor who is also uh, excited about new technologies and, and what, you know, uh, technology has to offer these days. It sounds like you do everything. Yeah, well, I, I try. Uh, I mean, the interesting thing is I, these are a lot of, like, my friends and clients and, you know, who I've worked with for years, and they they have a habit of calling me, and I'm like, you know, I, I, I don't know anything about real time. You know, I mean, I do. I know a little bit, obviously, but I, it's, now um, you do. <laughs> it's exactly. So it's, it's kind of crash courses in, in getting up to speed on the, these new technologies and, you know, and it, it's a little harder these days with the family and everything else going on. Um, but it's, it's still been a lot of fun, you know, to, to have right. all the mixed mediums, you know, and, and be able to stay up to date or try to at least on, on all the, the new stuff. I mean, to me, it sounds like a blast. Like, uh, I would love to do that from morning till night. And just to sprinkle some ba some biography in there, Spike Jones. it's not the first time you work with him. You worked uh, on her, her and uh, other Spike Jones projects. Mm -hmm. uh, I loved uh, what you guys did for, was it Apple? It's called oh, Home. Yeah. Welcome Home. Welcome Home. That was fantastic. Thank you. I wanted to believe it was all practical and there was no VFX there. Yeah. And so knowing you're involved in, it's kind of like... Uh, uh, Double-edged sword or Yeah, I can't say it. it. You know, it won a... Um, I mean, my husband was actually the vendor-side uh, VFX soup. I was the client-side, and he was vendor-side at Framestore. And, um, and he and his team actually won a Visual Effects Society Award oh. for Best Compositing. And that, you know, build or how-to that they had to submit yeah. to get the award and get the votes, which can't be publicly released. Yeah. But it showed all the work we did, and obviously it was enough for them to win the award. So, you know, I, I can't, yeah. I also can't say a whole lot about it, but it was, you know, there was definitely more VFX than meets the eye. Yeah, I'm sure. But the practical build was unbelievable. I mean, it was, it was really cool. Is it, uh, I know we're like diving right into <laughs> uh, the, the details, but is it frustrating to you when something like this, you know, like you did some, some kind of an innovative, at least your husband in this case, you know, was uh, responsible for something and got, you know, the award for it, but can't show it to the world and, you know, has to kind of keep it under. I don't know. Wraps. I think that, um, it's kind of been the story of my career in a lot of ways. You know, Marvel right. was, Captain Marvel was one of the, I mean, it was uh, the hands down the biggest um, effectsy film that that I've done. Right. And so a lot of the work I've done has been, you know, has to be photo real and seamless. And it's, right. I think that's kind of, that's what yeah, kind of comes more naturally to me anyway. Mm -hmm. So. I think it's okay. I, I don't on, like. It's fun to be behind the scenes, you know. You worked on Benjamin Button too, and mm -hmm. that's. I remember when that came out. I think I was like two years old or something. I'm just kidding. But <laughs> I, I remember. I'm I mean, not that old. <laughs> no, uh, no. I, I think like you know, in terms of my professional uh, placement, I wasn't even in the U.S. yet, and uh, I just remember looking at the at this film with it's you know it's one of those films kind of like Jurassic Park when you when you see something that you don't you didn't expect to ever see with your eyes you know and it's you get this 
uh, visceral, uh, you know, reaction to mm. this. It's like, really? Am I really seeing what I think I'm seeing? Because I know Brad Pitt, and I know how old is he, and I think I'm seeing Brad Pitt, and he's so many, so much older now. And like, what's what's happening here? How is this possible? And then I remember seeing the the breakdowns, and uh, and it's really inspiring. And I'm sure that I've seen just the tip of the iceberg in terms of like what you've seen, you know, being involved with it. Um, so I don't know if there's a question here. I'm just saying I, I admire I mean, it, the you work know, you Benjamin guys did Button for it. Was, um, <laughs> that was, it still just holds such a sweet spot in my heart. I mean, it was a, a baby of mine and our very small team, you know, for a couple of years. Right. You know, it was... A um, very old looking one. Baby. We, exactly. <laughs> it, you know, we went... Um, I mean, I've, I've told this story before, but we failed first. Doing I, I've heard that story the with the Orville Redenbacher um, right. commercial. commercial. And I try to look it up online. It's, I don't, it's there. It's there. Yeah. I don't even know how to spell. What's it? How do you spell it? Redenbacher? Yeah, Redenbacher. <laughs> how do? You, what is that? I, I mean, R E D. It's a last name. R E D E N B A C H E R. Yeah, Orville Redenbacher is the popcorn guy, but it. You know that didn't that didn't go very well. Um, the team did do a really cool test for David Fincher. Right. It did go well, but it, mm-hmm. uh, that and I wasn't involved in that one. But the the uh, there was no talking in it. You know the the character didn't talk, but the lighting was really beautiful. And so they greenlit the movie, and we just knew after failing on the commercials you know what not to do a lot harder than you think and you know it was just we went into it exactly and and, you know david fincher actually directed the orville commercials too Mm -hmm. and so i think you know i mean he he's the captain i mean he he really um he really led the way and made those shots doable and And then yeah i'm I'm actually very curious about that because i know david fincher he has a um Obviously, a lot of a rich commercial background, and he's such a you know technically proficient director based on the films he does. That how deep was he involved in in the technology behind it? Was very he, deep. Yeah, yeah, he's really really involved in all of that. And of course, Eric Barba is the visual effects supervisor. Right. You know, and so they went back and forth quite a bit. But David is, uh, you know, a huge proponent of you know, the right set data and, you know, I mean, it was, what was it, 10, 12 years ago now and getting the HDRs on set and, you know, it was kind of the opposite of a lot of directors who don't really want to take the time to give visual effects what they need. Right. Like he was almost the opposite, you know, wanted to make sure that, you know, visual effects had what they need and, you know, and he was really mindful of, um, of course, there was hard shots like in the bathtub right. or, you know, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head, taking that off and on. I remember those shots, looking at them, you know? and like, why did they even go yeah. down? <laughs> you know? Why are they doing this to themselves? You and know? It, but, you know, but then there was other moments that, that he, you know, cut, you know, in the original script, there was, there was like a, a make-out kind of scene where someone's grabbing his hair, and you know what I yeah. mean? And, and it was just like, it was really hard to do realistic human hair back then, and, you know, we ended up not doing that one. Oh, I see. Interesting. And uh, that we went right into like, you know, a specific project and, and we haven't even like talked about your your background before that. Just a quick side note, because you mentioned Eric Barba. Um, 
Did you know he worked on Sliders? Have you ever seen that Mm-mm, show? I haven't. I looked at his uh, IMDb and I'm a big fan of that unknown what is show. It? Sliders? Yeah. Check it out. It's online. Okay. Is it's, it old? It's super. Yeah, I think it's from the... Did probably he, not that old. It's like, you know, from the early 90s. Oh, did, uh, did he do it at Amblin? Was that a... I don't know. It was a show with... Uh, it was basically a parallel universe show. Uh, I think they shot at least the first season in San Francisco, so all the episodes are t- take place in the parallel versions of San Francisco and and uh, um, every at least in the first season, which I think was the best uh, every every episode uh, you know has something it's like every time they 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 basically it's about people who who uh, invent uh, a portal into other dimensions. Each dimension is the same earth, same place, same time, but different things happen in history, for instance. So in one episode, uh, the Russians uh, won the Cold War or whatever, and everybody speaks Russian, and it's like, you know, it's uh, communism America. And another episode, the dinosaurs never got uh, uh, extinct. So there's a lot of VFX in that show. Obviously, it's early 90s TV VFX, so you can imagine what it it must have looked like. Uh, it just, uh, I remember watching it as a kid and it, it's, uh, still holds, uh, that's funny. I'll have to ask him about it. Yeah. Sliders. He's probably going to want to deny taking part <laughs> of it because it's, uh, you know, I, I still think they should like re, you know, reboot it or something, make it updated. Cause it could be, it's a really cool concept. That's cool. And also like in terms of production, it makes a lot of sense. Like you don't have to even leave your main area and you just have to, you know, change set design and some invent some stories and throw some monsters and you know, there you go. That's awesome. Um, anyway, that's, uh, that's my little, uh, two cents on Eric Barba. I'm sure I'm, I'm glad I knew about him something something you didn't. And, um, so you started out, um, from what I've heard, I'm going to save you the, I know you probably hate telling this story too many times, so I'm just going to tell for you. Um, you started an illegal internship. Yep. <laughs> Which means you weren't you weren't a student or something, but you were. You know, I was uh, going to school, but it wasn't official. It wasn't through the school or anything oh, gotcha. like that. So. And what so that was, was in free a, help. at a at a post production company or a VFX company. You know, they were, they called themselves um, a school slash visual effects studio. I suppose. Okay. Yeah, and so uh, they had they had classes, and you know, there wasn't that many schools or programs back then. And right. it was kind of cool. It was in San Diego and they had weekend courses and oh, nice. weeks long courses. And, you know, and they, they said, if you um, work, you can do the classes right. and learn this. And I'm like, oh, maybe, you know, that sounds kind of cool. I had just, my grandpa had given me a computer and I was learning uh, Illustrator and Photoshop in school and really liked it. Uh, what brought you... Um I mean, I I remember when I got my first computer and I and I installed like an a, you know animation software or something like that. I was really excited. I just yeah. I can still you know to this day remember the feeling I had because I was a big fan of Disney movies and and uh, 2D cell animation and the idea of like you know you make a drawing and then it comes to life and you know you, you make you draw a lot of small drawings and then you play them out one after another and then you can make stuff happen. And uh, was that something that you also felt at the time? Uh, what drew you, you into... You know, it was cool. I I think I just, I was a little bit lost. Like, I, I had really good grades throughout school mm-hmm. and was always into, I mean, I played 
piano for like 12 years and did sports and but I was always a wild child as well I was kind of this skater girl snowboard you know I, I really wanted to just move to Tahoe and snowboard and not go to school at all and everyone was huh. like you can't do that you have to go to school you have like a 4.2 and you know what I mean and I'm like <laughs> F school and I, I just did you know 17 years of school I was young for my class you know I'm like I don't want to do any more school and um and so and I always drew like I was kind of the artist in my class mm-hmm. um but nothing really to do with computers um and I so when it, I ended up moving to San Diego kind of on a whim I had some friends who lived in Oceanside and met a boy and you know he wanted to go to San Diego instead of Tahoe where those friends were living so I went down there and, and enrolled in school and so realized... So if, if you ended up going to Tahoe, you would have been probably a snowboard bump. champion or something like that? <laughs> some, maybe. <laughs> that would be cool. But probably that. more like a ski bum of some sort. I don't really know. Uh, but, I, you know, I was always I was pretty discontent, you know? I mean, I knew that I wanted to do something, but I didn't know right. what I wanted to do. And, it, you know, going to get a degree in something that didn't interest me didn't seem like a fun thing to do. Yeah. And so when I started to do some of these projects um, in the in the classes, like the illustrator classes and the and just was able to create on the computer, it did, it felt really good. And it had nothing to do, these were stills at the time, you know, I uh, my brain had not even evolved to animation. I mean, I'm from a really small rural town and we barely had, you know, we didn't have MTV. I mean, we barely had TV. We had like... You oh, know, wow. channels two through 12 or, you know, whatever it was. And so, so uh, it's so crazy compared to these days, you know, to, to think of is how it, little we had. <laughs> is it because you <laughs> were not that old? I think, I think the whole world was kind of like that. No, I mean, I remember exactly, where I was yeah. from, like, there was no, not a lot of channels and everybody no. pretty much watched the same show at the same time. And you, yeah. you know. And so, you know, you know, I started doing, um, just little things, even like scanning in some of my drawings and color, you know, watercoloring them in, but in Photoshop. And yeah. then I started drawing straight in Photoshop, you know, and then got into um, modifying photos in Photoshop. And, you know, and, and from there, you know, that's when the the kid next to me was like, hey, you should come and, uh, you know, my boss was asking if there's any females who might want a job as an intern or, you know, to come Mm-hmm. being interns so you should come check this out and that's when I was introduced to why do you think to... they were looking for females specifically oh because he just... wanted a receptionist and a babysitter oh interesting so. wow mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, in the straight office, up yeah. yeah so that was that was what that's what he wanted and that's what I did I was you know literally like free receptionist and uh, watched the baby wow. you know in the little what do they call pack and plays you yeah know, like next to me and, what I, um, I now know what it's called yeah I'm, expecting so I, I became it, very knowledgeable in a very short period of time about babies now and i but yeah i you know and on the receptionist computer there was Lightwave. I mean, this isn't like a crazy busy place you know what mm-hmm. i mean um so i was able to open it up and i was just lost i mean Lightwave. i was like oh my god like i don't even know where to start here so i received some of the printouts that they had for the class and just started teaching myself and then you know was it a, a purely your interest or was there a, a yeah it started to interest me yeah? I mean it started to it I was like wow this is cool and I can make good money maybe I don't have to go to school right now you know maybe I can try to learn this and uh, you know at that point in my life I was pretty um I, I don't know how, I guess driven you know I was pretty like hey I can learn whatever I want to learn yeah. so throw it at me and I'll learn it. So I had no, there was no doubt in my mind that I was going to 
just learn it if I wanted to learn it. And so that's what I, that's what I did. And soon, you know, the boyfriend went away because it was like I was choosing to stay at work and try to practice and learn and didn't want anything to do with him, you know, (laughs) and it was a little bit sad, you know, so he, but he went away and I, I literally like dedicated, uh, you know, just dedicated myself to learning like light wave and reading so really, about it. You really think like he went away because you made you, because he saw that you're so involved in, in, in this learning. Oh, I was phase. just disinterested in him anymore. Oh, okay. Unfortunately, like it just, I just kind of lost interest, you know, <laughs> you know, light wave stole you away. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't interesting. There was a whole new world, you know, and different people who, you know, had uh, who I could learn from surrounding me, and you, you know, know, I have a question because just... um, I mean, you you mentioned not wanting to study something that you didn't want to do. You know, not doing that kind of like uh, the the path that everybody takes. You know, just to go to school, and you don't know what you're gonna be, but who cares? You know, just pick a subject and you know, join a university or college or whatever. Um, I remember those those days as being something like 3D and anything that had to do with VFX at that time was like the rebellious way because there's no school for that. So mm. if you wanted to do anything and then you had to teach yourself or, you know, meet some people and it was kind of underground and... Um, yeah, it was a little indie. You can listen to your crazy music and yeah. be doing, you know... Yeah, and the people who were in that field were the outcast and the mm. thing. Do you think that was... Uh, I'm sure I was drawn to that. Drawn to that? Absolutely. It would have been different nowadays if because if, now you have like schools for it and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I don't it know. It became a bit more Probably. Uh, institutionalized, right? Absolutely. I'm sure that my... I'm sure that the path was pretty unique. I mean, I... You know, the first project was I... Uh, some people quit and I was... You probably heard this story before too, but I was given a, um, a Mattel doll and was like, you know, can you... Model try it. to model the face yeah and that's what i was always really good at drawing was like i could draw like i could draw you exactly you know mm. probably not anymore but i used to be <laughs> really good um and so i that's what i did and i modeled the face and realized that i was really good at that you know to learn this modeling and then the you know so many people had left the boss was like can you teach the advanced organic modeling class <laughs> you know <Wow>. next weekend <laughs> and i'm like i'm like 19 you know I think I don't think I was 19 I was probably 18 at the time you know and I was like I could try and it's so funny because I you know I haven't talked to them in years but there's some people that I mean just up until a few years ago I still somewhat keep in contact with and they would joke because they would you know the class actually went pretty well but there were certain things that I had no idea how to I didn't even know like why I was rotate or you know some of the most basics because I had just taught myself and so even though I'm knew how to make it look right. I didn't necessarily know the most linear path to get there. Right. And so the students were actually giving me a couple of hints. It only happened a couple of times, but a few of those students didn't really let me live that one down. You know? <laughs> but it was, you know, it was yeah, a really was um, strange situation to, you know, be that young and kind of thrown into that. And then that same um, boss actually sent me to Hong Kong and I worked in Hong Kong for... Really? eight months or so eight um, months yeah to try to help he had partnered with a uh, this is in 99 so it was the year before um it was still under british rule and before okay. it went you know back That's to crazy. it was it was crazy and so my mom was freaking out you know at first that i was going overseas it, it was you know those were the type of adventures that i i just like live for you know mm-hmm. back then and so yeah, it was yeah. funny because i had 
um, I had left San Diego and miraculously like got a job at Digital Domain and was working for Eric Barba for one of the first times and my tasks were done. The Hong Kong job came up. I thought, I'm going to go do this. But, you know, I just didn't have enough professionalism at that point in my life. Maybe I'm 19 at that point. Right. Um, you know, I was going to just leave. And, you know, he got pretty upset because he wanted me to, of course, finish the whole project. He's like, sure, your tasks were done. But I was going to throw you, you know, from previs and texturing onto you know, animation yeah. or finishing, you know, and I was like, oh, shoot, well, I kind of have to, I can't not go to Hong Kong, you know? Yeah. And so he was like, I think, pretty disappointed in me for a while. But, you know, he, after a couple of years, let that one go. How how old was Digital Domain at the time? Because that was, I guess, in 99? How yeah, they were, I mean, they'd been, there was already old schoolers. Oh, yeah? At the, at the company? Yeah, I, you know, off the top of my head, I don't remember if it was 93 that they right. started. Um, I don't remember. I'd have to look it up. That's still six years. It's not that long. But, but I don't know for sure. Imagine. It might have been before. It yeah. yeah. Um, but it was it was a different digital domain. I mean, back in back then, it was pretty cool to be a part of that. So that if group. any if any newcomers are listening, you do not advise people to leave in the middle of a project to go no. to Hong Kong if you work for digital domain. I mean, well, at the same no, not necessarily. I, I actually. It, if you're 19 and you have the opportunity to go travel and go work uh, on the other side of the world, I have to say that I probably do advise that you leave. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, sure. you know, I think I that you that. have to, I think that you, you have to do what makes you uh, live, you know? Yeah. But maybe me be a bit up, like, give communicative them a heads up. about yeah, communicative. it and make sure that you're, I was a little oblivious to how it worked. Right. I can't yeah. say that I could advise other 19-year-olds to like, hey, know more how the exactly. politics work before, you know, they're not going to know. So yeah. I think you kind of well, have to... make those mistakes early on and there you go. then you that's find a good, out, That's right? good that's, advice. <laughs> you know, I, I like that. I, I also remember being very, un, you know, making a lot of mistakes like that with, with uh, yeah, not being communicative enough. I think that's uh, that's the key. And, you know, like the the the... the, the sooner you say what's on your mind the better you know it doesn't matter if it's good news bad news uh what it, whatever you expect your the reaction to be just say you know stay it spit it don't don't keep it in because the more you wait the worse it can become and that's kind of a, a basic mm. uh <laughs> a basic tip that's uh that's fantastic so then uh then digital was digital domain kind of like the place you attribute most of your professional growth from uh, an artist to a supervisor, or gosh, was it? that's a. I think that's just been a evolving process, and every mm -hmm. different place I've gone, it's just grows more and more. Right. A digital domain, I think I can probably attribute that most to um, the skills that I have, which sometimes I don't think are very many compared to a lot of super talented people in my field but you know the the learning uh, you know just how to do visual effects mm. in I, I dare i say the correct way because there's you know a million ways to do what we do but you know really good um uh, really good ways to do visual effects right <laughs> i, I mean to, to, to people it. some of my listeners are not visual effects artists uh, especially my family members. <laughs> uh, and um, so just to kind of clarify, modeling ahead is not visual effects. That's a something that can 
end so up it's in a, a visual part effect, of it's, it's part of visual yeah. you know visual effects has many different um departments so there's there's on set and then there's tracking um which is um you know say you shoot something and it's you know um tracking the movement of something within the frame right. uh, a 3d object like knowing what that 3d motion is translating right. what you filmed into a 3d motion and then or there's the, or rotoscoping solving, solving the camera movement so exactly that you can recreate it in cg and rotoscope i don't think we need to like teach yeah. everything <laughs> so there's but a lot uh, there's a lot that goes into visual effects i think the a lot uh, of different departments yeah and there's you know a lot of my early jobs i was a generalist which was kind of cool because you would you would do just do many disciplines right. and so i was kind of a jack of all trades master of none really yeah so and i think a lot of people back then were kind of like that more so than today today things have become more compartmentalized especially in the and, commercial world which is where right. i kind of started in the music video yeah. commercial world i think i mean uh I, i've had someone on this uh on this podcast uh, from israel uh who's uh, the vfx supervisor of uh I don't know if you've seen Fauda on Netflix. It's a Mm-mm. it's an action show that action. I wouldn't call it action. It's it's about counterterrorism in Israel, and uh, he's a one man VFX shop that does all the VFX for the series, and it's got everything from you know blood hits and set set uh, extensions and uh, invisible. I'm sure you know things like connecting two shots together and hiding cuts and. Uh, um, hiding sp- sp- split screens or whatever whatever you can come up with and it's just you know do we do, there's still people like that that just have to you know whatever whatever lands on the table they have to figure out how to do of course yeah. they won't be able to do everything the right way quote unquote uh, as far as like you know because I think things especially nowadays um, with big companies that have emerged in the last 20 years uh, that obviously attributed to the films like the films you just did, you know, the Avengers and, and pretty much every Hollywood blockbuster. They're so big and so filled with so much talent and so much uh, expertise and experience that has been uh, garnered. Like, it's probably impossible nowadays for one, for one person to be able to really go through uh, any one of those shots from beginning to end and do everything because each and every step of the way requires so much... Uh, accumulative knowledge that it's probably impossible for one person to to know all of that i would say except for like some really crazy you know I mean, they're out there genius they're out there you know, yeah but um but uh but that, that there's but usually less of it's that. done yeah exactly usually it's done yeah much bigger pipelines uh but back in those days uh there was less knowledge. A lot of the technologies that are that are now, you know, daily kind of bread and butter, everybody uses, didn't even exist at the time. So it was kind of a good time, I think, to start uh, to 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 gain all that knowledge. And I wonder. I, I know it's like segueing a bit, but like as as a working VFX supervisor in this field, do you feel like um, the type of uh, of knowledge that you've that you've learned over the years? Is there still a path that people nowadays can go through and and acquire all that knowledge the same way, or is that kind of a lost? Uh, I mean, I, if, I think that acquiring it the same way that there's so many great school programs these days, and you you do your own film, right? You know, where you you are doing everything, or you're having a really small crew do everything, and the student 
films and reels blow my mind these days. You know, they really get to do it all. And then the other would be if you wanted to go that route to do, you know, go work at a smaller visual effects or smaller um, music video or commercial house. Right. And then you have have more more opportunity to to do more disciplines. And um, so back to like your experience, because uh, you do, I think, both, right? You do, you've you worked on huge, blo- you know, Hollywood blockbuster uh, with, I think you mentioned, a, there were like total of 2,500 shots and you kind of split it, top, you know, between you and... Uh, I mean, Chris, Christopher Townsend was the, he's the overall visual Townsend, effects yeah. supervisor and he brought me on and uh, was really, was really great to work for. And so ultimately... On Captain Marvel, just mm-hmm, to everything. clarify here. Uh, sorry, yeah, segueing back to Captain Marvel. So everything <laughs> went through him, uh, but, you know, we ended up splitting. We each had about uh, 1,200 shots or so. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's so, and, and from that to doing, you know, a VR or AR project uh, um, or a commercial, I don't know if you've done commercials recently, but those are, you know, as a VR project, I'm sure much smaller in scale uh do you find it uh, very different to kind of transition from supervising uh several vendors who yeah, have several hundred artists under the, under them to suddenly working with a smaller team of generalists potentially or well it's hard because what ends up happening is i have to play the role of uh, visual effects producer and supervisor on a smaller team and right. it or it, well, it's just me you know when oh. i'm on the client side yeah. kind of managing or bringing in vendors or whatever it is and it, you don't really have you don't have the support staff coordinators or pas right. or you know and so are you talking about the smaller jobs the smaller jobs yeah. you know so it's a it's a little bit harder to I don't actually, it's, I mean, it's just different, you know, and I, in a lot of ways, I, I like the bigger, I like having support. Right. Cause I, I'm not that good at a lot of things, you know, and I, and so having really <laughs> smart, that on a, having really on smart, record. great people around me, you know, to, to help and having a right. team is, it just goes a long way, you know, like where sometimes when you're just a one man band, you're, um, you're you know struggling in certain areas and so it's funny i think it's true for almost any scale that you look at uh obviously i mean a a little different scale but like that it's often the smaller projects or smaller in in budget and smaller in in even in aspirations that are harder because you end up doing more yourself absolutely and it's you know I've evolved even just in my mindset right. as I'm getting older. I really love having the bigger teams and the support and appreciate it so much. And when I was younger, I wanted the smaller teams yeah. or I wanted to do everything by myself because I thought I could do it better. You know, like if I just did it all, you know. So I would say just as a as a person, I'm evolving as I've been in this career longer. And what's the what's the give and take? I'm curious because I would imagine you know the fun of the the. The advantage of being in a small team is that you feel like you accomplish more. Like, you know, your sense of, oh, I just did this, this and that. And, you know, and it was successful and yay me, you know, that kind of self-motivation uh, is more present, I, f- I think, or I assume, maybe I'm wrong, than in a big project when there's so many people under you, next to you, even over you who are, it's almost like, it's it's uh it's impossible to fail with so much support around you that you suddenly are at a point where 
and I'm just completely making it up, potentially it could be completely wrong, where you say, say well, if, it's, if there's so much support and it's so impossible for me to fail, um, how do I um, kind of, where do I find the satisfaction of doing something no one else could? Or, like, or a different question is, when's the last time, and I'm sure there is, uh, just not, it's not uh, suggesting that there isn't, where you did something uh, where you made a decision in one of the bigger projects and you felt, you kind of went home and felt, yeah, I, I just, I completely aced it, you know, I completed home run, I feel so good about myself, you oh know, my God. that's I mean, why I'm in this field and... and it's uh, funny because I don't, I... I... <laughs> I don't really ever feel that way on the small projects or the big projects. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I tend to, I'm, I tend to never think that things are good enough or that I'm good enough. It's something that I've always worked on my whole life. So, you know, so I can't fully relate to that. Um, but I do, I do think that on the, the bigger projects, it, it's, I don't, I don't know. It's a, it's, um, it's different than what you described, you know, that it, it, you do have a, like for instance, the de-aging of Nick Fury, yeah. you know, is similar to making a digital human. You know that this is a character that's been in the Marvel Cinematic Universe forever and everyone knows what he looked like when he was younger and it, you can easily fail, you know, enough pixels moved around the wrong way and he looks like a different guy in certain right. scenes. And so that, you know, that was a huge undertaking to go in and know that okay we have 500 shots or you know that ended up making it in the film that uh that have to you know you can't think about the fact that he's de-aged and right. they have to they have to embody his character and look correct and so it i think that when you said that you have so much support that you can't fail that that's not really true like people fail all the time in the big machines right. and it's true that you'll get filled by someone else or, you know, or something will happen that it, it's, but you might still fail. Right. You know, the project isn't going to fail. It's still going to be released. It's still going to go out, you know, on the, on the release date, but you know, it's very, you know, likely that you could be replaced or, Oh you yeah. Know. And so no, I, th I think it's about what I meant was the final solution is going to be good because someone else, if it's not you, you might be fired and out of, <laughs> out of yeah. the picture, but someone, should ideally step in. I don't know. I think that, you know, you look at the, I mean, that's the, I mean, I guess that's just the beauty of what we do. Like there's so many um, films, I mean, even de-aging or digital humans that I know I look at and I go, right. ah, you know, that didn't really come out that great. And that's what ends up happening. I mean, that's what's, you know, and in the worst case scenario, it's something like Polar Express where, oh, yeah. you know, the whole world is critiquing it, you know, yes. or, or Orville Redenbacher for that matter, you know, and so, <laughs> you know, but in the best case scenario, like, you know, um, and Nick Fury, you know, turned out really well that people didn't critique it and they thought that it flowed and that he worked nicely. And, you know, that's, that's the best case scenario and so I, I guess i guess the way i'm approaching it i might I, i'm i think what i'm saying is that as a as a guy or as a human uh but maybe it's unique to to me as a guy um i have a great deal of like kind of uh eagerness to prove myself and to say you know i did it like me david not mm. the team it doesn't matter, you know, like, or at least to, to, it's this kind of imposter syndrome where, um, where you, you keep telling yourself, um, am I really worth 
worth you know being in the seat like you know is uh, aren't there other vfx supervisors who could do a better job than me um and what am i bringing to this that no one else could or that at least you know equal to the best or to to people in my in my position and i find that uh it doesn't happen a lot to me and to i think a lot of people where you're like you you are truly satisfied with what has happened right now you know like where you because that's you know that's what makes people good at what they do the perfectionism and the, and the strive for perfection and never being satisfied with what there is but then once a, once a while you do need to get some kind of acknowledgement that hey you are do you're doing a good job you know you might not be completely satisfied with it yourself but look around you you're pretty you know you're pretty high up there and judging from the films that you worked on you are you know obviously um uh, among the top and so i'm just kind of curious um that that was the reason I, I kind of brought it up in terms of the uh the the difference between um being on a smaller job where you you're more hands-on and potentially you know have more to say more say in the uh all the daily decisions that take place versus when you're a, a client side vfx supervisor versus a vendor side and and you kind of get what the vendor sends you which ha has already been ideally filtered through a bunch of supervisors on the way and yes you have you know obviously a, a reason that you're there you know and you'll keep sending shots back i'm kind of curious what's how how many times you, sh you send them back and um and uh you know, and, and what do you think about that whole process? But it's a different animal than when you're supervising the act, the the, the artists themselves, and you can like really. That's different skill set. Yeah. Too. You know, I think that the when you're on the client side, it's really important that you're, you know, first and foremost, you know, fulfilling the director's vision. So you're communicating with the director or with me, with Chris Townsend and, you know, the directors and in the room with them or the, the studio execs. Yeah. And it, then it's the department heads, you know, um, and so that you're actually shooting the effects correctly and right. filming the story that needs to be filmed. And, you know, that you're really a part of like that early filmmaking process. And then you're helping the vendor supervisor to, you know, with his teams and, it, you know, not in a micromanaging way, but, um, you know, how to, it's, it's from, it's definitely from a higher level, you know, what we need to hit first and what we need to turn over first and how to, you know, what needs to come in so that we can finish on time. And so that, you know, we can lock down what this effect looks like. And then, you know, I mean, as far as revisions, it just depends. I mean, some shots last the whole show and others, you know, you get in a rhythm and you have three revisions or so and you're done. I think what's the what do you think was the most uh most revised shot you've ever worked on oh my gosh i don't know there's so <laughs> many at this point <laughs> it's hard to say on benjamin button we had some winners that were like you know version 257 wow. or whatever which is a lot but you know it, it it all it's all relative because sometimes you have a visual effects artist who likes to version up or just skips 100 or you know so it's it's kind of hard to say but, it, you know, I think that on the vendor side, it's, there is a whole set of challenges in, in guiding the individual artists and, you know, leads of the different departments and really making it happen that I 
truly respect because there there's a whole set of difficulties there right and uh i'm curious about the transition because you started out as a vendor side vfx supervisor right mm -hmm. i did and obviously you know like usually people do that they start on the vendor side and then at some point they transition to client side and like you're saying it's a different time it's a different skill set but of course that's the trajectory you have to be one before you're the other and then then once you're on the client side i think I'm curious, do you still sometimes uh, like kind of tinker in whatever technique they're using? I, mean, I, is it I do a lot, but only in comp. So okay. I have Nuke on my computer hmm. and well, maybe sometimes, I don't know, you'd have to ask the vendors. I don't know if they like it or not, but I'll, I'll do comps really? or work on top of paint overs or, you know, I'll, I'll they even, allow you even to, sometimes to get their, their literally get their entire script sent over, Wow. you know, if it gets to that point. So that's... Uh, that's something that I, I think that it's kind of an art, you know? So yeah, they, you have to make sure that you're not completely pissing someone off, you right. know? And I, I think I probably used to piss people off back in the day, or I know I did, but these days it's done in a very, um, in a way that's best for the show and right. communicative and it's okay and, and appreciated. But it's great. That's uh, so. I I really like to to do that, and it's very easy for me sometimes when you can't communicate verbally what needs to happen to just show it in pictures. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that when you're on the vendor side, and that's where I started to just lose, get disconnected from. As a visual effects supervisor on the vendor side, it, it's really important to be able to guide each individual department in their own disciplines whether yeah. it be effects or animation or you know and it's it can be really hard to have that daily communication with so many people and and do it correctly because i have to say i'm not the most eloquent person and much of my experience is just getting my hands dirty and showing you like yeah. showing you an image not verbally right you it's know a lot. yeah it, teaching you how to do it you know mm -hmm. uh, and I that I, I think that not going to school for that long is hurt me in that regard you know I, I honestly think if I would have done more uh, different courses and even being like a TA like a teacher's assistant you know just like having more experience communicating more with people uh, that uh, that would have helped that part of my job it, it's, I'm curious. There's, I have a lot of kind of pending questions. I'll just go quickly back about uh, to talk about the, the Benjamin Button versus uh, Captain Marvel. Um, and so just to, to clarify, I think it's a lot harder to age someone than to uh, de-age them. Am I correct? Or is it just a completely different They're just beast? It's just totally different. Completely different. Yeah. And on, uh, I know in, on Benjamin Button, at least that was, that's what was uh, published at the time, there was a lot of uh, 3D involved, uh, 3D modeling and uh, facial um, yeah, it was tracking. Yeah, all 3D. And uh, it was the beginning of, facial, of performance capture, but it was a version of performance capture, mm -hmm. wasn't it? Uh, with tracking markers on the face and uh, and uh, well, trying we, to that was a, it was a blend shape rig and we actually captured used um, a system called MOVA that's not you know it's gone through its yeah, paces definitely. and it's not really round anymore um, but it MOVA became where you could capture entire animations but we we captured uh, shapes mm -hmm. and you know mm -hmm. used that to right. drive the rig I mean that's a really simplified yeah of course 
simplified but, and you were the vendor side supervisor Com- i was one. compositing supervisor oh, compositing supervisor mm-hmm. right i remember that on Benjamin for digital Button. domain mm-hmm. and uh which means for you know that the that compositing is the kind of later stage of bringing different layers together and the uh actual uh situ- you know 3d element of of blend shapes and that is a different department that's the uh, it is and we had you know it was a really small team steve prig was the animation supervisor jonathan litt was the lighting supervisor and we we the three of us worked really closely together so i was very into um each department having accountability for what they did and so part of you know compositing is kind of the image pipeline and so we created these checks for every department so basically each and this is probably more commonplace these days i don't really know on the vendor side but each department had a check so there was a roto check a tracking check and where it would take the plate and it would take their work the roto or the tracking or whatever it was and show them you know what it was and the anim check for instance it was the first qa of sorts yeah it's a comp yeah so it's a comp it's just a really small comp and so Hmm. you know the anim check for instance would actually take the head roto it put it on the body and it would um, actually render it with an HDR oh, wow. so that it had proper eye reflections. And it was it was amazing, you know? It was, like, the best. Um, it was just amazing for review because up until that point, you know, animation renders are just, like, gray-shaded. Yeah. Or, you know, really hard to tell. And it doesn't really make sense to me to have those, you know, gray-shaded renders uh, when very quickly you could have a whole automated system. So the animator could just say you know, run anim check and it would literally, you know, yeah. a little bit later spit him out a comp. And so it was, it was great because he didn't have to wait for it to go through compositing to actually see eye reflections, which right. are a huge part. You know, the eyes are like the most important part on the human and they, you know, they need to see that. And you were uh, part so of, I kind created of designing those. that automation? Yeah, that was kind of my big, um, when, when I started on the show, which was really early on, that was my just the big thing that I felt like we were lacking in Orville, you know, the different, the, the different artists on the show didn't have the proper tools to be able to check their work properly. Gotcha. So it would always filter into, you know, comp and everyone's looking at this comp going, no, and this happens with digital humans a lot, you know, no matter how many checks you have in place, you know, I think it's the eyes, you know, and mm-hmm. no, no, the, the, the head track is off. No, no, it's this that's off. And, you know, it's yeah. something that, um, you know, I, I really, it's easy for me to see what's off and it's easy for me to prove what's off, but you could debate it with people forever, you know? Right. And so that was, it was just, you know, having those checks in place really made, it took a lot of the guesswork out of the process. And um, I guess I think it, it's it's also one of those things that uh, it's easier to know that this is required when you've already, when you've, you've been in that seat yourself, you've, you've modeled, you've, you've, experience all those different stages at some point and you know how important it is to just get the feedback and to and to to be able to gauge your own work uh, i wonder if nowadays uh with real time uh with real time and and uh you know game engines being part of the pipeline those uh kind of checks are becoming a lot easier right i mean you know i think if they're implemented if they're it's, it's easy for i think it's easy for productions to forget how important that can be because mm-hmm. you know not only just for checking the work along the way but it gives those those artists something that they can be proud of like hey yeah. i i've finaled 
20 roto checks, right. you know, and it just, it's a, um, so yeah, I, but oftentimes I think that those sort of things aren't really implemented, you yeah. know, it's usually up to the lead of the department to make sure it happens. But, but yeah, I suppose it, it's probably easier these days, although I don't know if real time is, you know, there's still kind of a, it's a, probably somewhat of a disconnect between real time and visual effects in, yeah. in day-to-day departments, you know, in the different departments. Yeah, I think it's 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 definitely evolving. I've when I spoke to Wes Ball, who's uh, who, directing a uh, film now called uh, The Mouse Guard, and he basically said that uh, he's also a VFX. Uh, he used to be a VFX artist. I don't think he ever supervised because he was always like working on uh, himself. But he the entire well, it's it's a sort of a CG film, uh, kind of like Lion King. But he did something similar to what. Uh, um, John Favreau did for Lion King, which is, you know, an entire kind of real-time previs of the whole film and then, you know, shooting with virtual cameras and and kind of uh, doing the whole film in, I think, Unreal Engine or something like that. So the whole film basically started out as a game, game, you know, quote-unquote, in in a game engine. Uh, And they have a, you know, talk about visual feedback and being able to, you know, prove shots and see what they're actually going to look like before you go into final you know assets and final yeah i mean the virtual production side of things is really yeah i haven't experienced i've only been given demos and haven't experienced it firsthand on one of my productions really but it's it's pretty unbelievable what can happen these days yeah it opens up it makes things a lot easier i'm more excited about how it affects the workflow of artists than how it affects the directors because I think the director there's something uh, organic about you know making script and story decisions early and then just you know going through the motion not having everything open all the time and being able to constantly go back and reimagine mm. your or, or you know re-examine your decisions uh, which is as you know an inevitable side effect of being able to do everything in real time is that you can kind of keep tweaking forever and and keep changing your mind and die you know shoot a scene in a hundred different ways and then you know figure it out in post um and uh i'm curious because just to kind of go back to like a bit more about career and i want to talk also about uh about kids and about you know like big (laughs) life decisions more more interesting things um uh, but before going into that, I, I was wondering, um, VFX supervisor, like we said, uh, the, the vendor side and the client side are pretty different. Um, how did you end up doing the transition or what was the, um, what was your first role as a, as a vendor side and how did that come to be? I mean, the, you know, when I, I mean, I was, I was obviously on the vendor side for a long time, so witnessed a lot of my mentors and people above me being vendor right. visual effects supervisors. And then I was at Method. I w- left Digital Domain after many, many years and went to Method as a commercials visual effects supervisor, and that was a promotion for me. Method in uh, L.A.? or Method in L.A. Okay. And it was right when they were just, it was 2009. There was some, a big transition kind of happening at that time. And so, uh, you know, I really wanted to gain the onset experience and have my chance to meet with directors and have that relationship because I, you know, wanted the opportunity to, you know, give their vision right. and not 
have it go through someone else, you know, not have it go through my boss, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And so I started out on, it was great because I got a, you know, really great set experience on really small commercials like Burger King Tiny Hands and I don't, Joe Montana's Skechers, you know, like it was just like all these little tiny commercials. And then uh, that's when the Spike Jones project called I'm Here came in and it was already shot, but we were able to, uh, we had to take it over and, and start over. And that's a, a 20 minute robot love story. Oh, wow. And I ended up being kind of the last person standing. And so, you know, it was me and Spike and his creative director, Sonny, you know, just kind of all hours. What do you mean uh, the last person standing? Finish, so, well, it was just... What was your role on it? I was... My role is technically... The, the title that I was given at the end was digital effects supervisor. Mm-hmm. But... I don't really know what my role was. I mean, I was I ended up finishing a lot of the comps and kind of being Spike's go-to to okay, fix like what fun. what still needed to be fixed. Right. And and so you know we were in like an edit bay, you know, just at the very end, just you know fixing, 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 you know, kind of pushing yeah. all the shots to get to where they needed to go, and getting the character, the life out of the characters. I mean, that's just that's probably the, my biggest passion in this you know, in this field is actually like just bringing life to characters and, mm-hmm. and even not only characters, but anything, you know, I think that's the cool thing about visual effects is just, if you're creating like a windstorm, it's like, it has to have life. Like that's right. the beautiful thing about reality is everything, you know, you look around and everything has so much life to yes. it, you know, and it's totally. uh, the physics of everything is, and, and then just the actual like life of, you know, beings is amazing. So anyway, that was my first, uh, you know, really having like a relationship with the director mm-hmm. and it, and so I was kind of hooked it's like that was really cool I, you know I didn't really want to go back right and from there I don't really remember I'm like I have kind of foggy brain but I left I left there shortly after and I thought I was going to leave uh visual effects for a while and go back and snowboard again <laughs> <laughs> or whatever you know and I uh but I, so I left LA I was just getting a little like claustrophobic I have these like periods every like probably seven years I don't know where I get really claustrophobic in LA and I I tend to like bolt to some other part of the world and we're thinking about that now too yeah it (laughs) happens Uh, and so I so I left and went home for a while then I ended up at ILM and from uh, ILM, I got a call to be a compositing supervisor in Iceland, Framestore Iceland, oh, wow. which was, it was kind of like the Hong Kong calling. It was like, right. sure, I didn't care what the project was. Like I wanted Just to go to Iceland. Yeah. So I went to Iceland and there I met um, Balthazar Kormakur, who's a director, Icelandic director. Um, and he was directing Contraband and I was a compositing supervisor, but okay. same thing. I ended up being kind of like one of the last people pushing, you know, yeah. to get these shots finaled. So he asked me to be his visual effects supervisor on the client side for a film called Two Guns, which okay. is like a comedy, you know, uh, shoot 'em up drama with like Denzel Washington and Mark Wahlberg. So that was that was really it, cool. Yeah. So that was my first, you know, big visual effects client side gig. So that was for Universal and Mark Platt Productions, and was we it? shot it in. Uh, New, in uh, Louisiana and New Mexico. Yeah. And then did the post in Iceland. That sounds um, awesome. So yeah, you were, cool. as a client supervisor, you were also on set. Mm-hmm. Um, are you, do you usually have vendor supervisors on set as well? Um, yeah, there's always a, 
I mean, it, it kind of depends on the project, but usually, you know, with Marvel, for instance, the vendor supervisor is always there. It's right. great for them to, you know, they're not they're not actively involved. You know, it's it's myself or Chris. You know, I was second unit mm-hmm. on Captain Marvel, and Chris was main unit, and you know, it's we're the ones doing the communicating, but the the vendor is always there so that they can you know speak up and right you know just be involved and have accountability for what's being shot yeah i'm curious because i know i mean i am always a vendor well i work on small on smaller gigs and sometimes it's a you know smaller indie features and things like that so if i'm on set i'm both the vendor supervisor and the client side right which is like two guns that's how it was for the most part um so i know how important it is to be there from uh both from both from both sides that's why I'm asking because you know if I if I was a vendor supervisor and there was a client supervisor who wanted to put tracker markers here or there I'd probably be you know want to be able to tell them you know exactly you want to hear their feedback yes or no and oftentimes they'll have their own data wrangler that they want even if we have our own data wrangler they might want to have their Their own own, yeah Yeah, just so they you know they have their own pipelines for data acquisition and whatnot but you're still there to cover all the bases and make sure that if they are not doing something that it's there well Um, they're not actually doing you know i mean it all has to filter through through you through the client side yeah you know like it's not their it's not their role to like step in you know they have to actually just go to myself Oh, you know, okay. Or to Chris, you know. I see. Um, and, um, yeah, so, and you're um, currently, you have a two-and-a-half-year-old, right? I do. Little boy. Uh, and uh, you're pregnant. Congrats. Thank you. Um, Four months. <laughs> how is, I mean, I'm That's curious. not how, announced to the world, but now it is. <laughs> it's not announced? Well, no. yeah, I can wait. No, no, it's to. okay. I just, I'm not much of a... Uh, social media announcer you know or anything like that so it would probably just be like baby be born next year and it'd be like surprise so anyway Uh, whoever listens to this can have the so and and i've uh you went on record a a while ago i think uh after your first uh baby was born and mentioned that you got even denied a job because you were pregnant right or or because you're a new mother or something new mother yeah i wasn't pregnant anymore but it was a new mother and there was Um, concern about that uh, so, but in a general kind of question, how is this this pregnancy compared to the previous one, or or how is your uh, experience different than last time? I mean, it's interesting that you bring that up um, because I think that now, having you know been a mother now for a couple years and going through this one, if that situation had happened again and. Because I was ready to go. I had a nanny. You know, my husband and I were going to work it out. And, you know, we were actually going to go, you know, even though wow. even though I had an infant, I, I felt like it was possible. And mm-hmm. I think that I didn't, I wasn't assertive enough in, in, in just saying, like, like, one, that's not right. You know, you can't do this to me like I right. I'm, I'm fine like mm-hmm. I you know I this is none of my family life is none it's of your none business. business yeah exactly, exactly. Yeah. um where I, I think nowadays I, I would be I'm much more comfortable and assertive kind of in my shoes where if if that happened I would really call them out yeah you know and just be like uh uh-uh. like I wouldn't say I can do this if I can't do it you know if I really don't yeah. want to do it and so don't try to make up my mind for me when it comes to my personal life that's you know? great um 
but then this time around, you know, I'm being, I'm, I'm pretty um, cautious in what, uh, you know, the roles that I'm taking on right now. Unfortunately, there's like professionally some really big, yeah. really big films that I've had to turn down, obviously, because I'd have to, you know, it, you'd have to take a couple months off or, you know, because right. I'm just not... You just never know. I mean, you'll find out soon. With kids, you try to make plans, and you know you don't really know how it's. Maybe you'll only want two weeks off, but you'll probably want a lot more. Yeah, and you it's know, really hard to, to predict something like it's this. It's really hard to predict like how you're gonna feel and what yeah. what's gonna happen. And but now you have experience because it's. But I think every child and situation is different. You know what I mean? And so, it's so I think that I it's really unfortunate being um like a woman and in this position because you have to really put your career on hold in a lot of ways i mean i i love the fact that right now i'm able to do these smaller projects and work from home and i feel i'm just super grateful for that yeah but any of the really bigger movies and projects i have to put on hold and not go after right now and it's uh but then you know someone the other day reminded me but you get to create life and it's like right. that's a good point <laughs> i yes. need to remind myself of that you know I, i'm so into the the career side of it. it's like oh yeah right that's that's actually yeah, pretty cool that's too a, it's a good reminder <laughs> yeah. it's, it's easy to forget i mean i i always i don't know why i'm i grew up my i didn't have a dad when i grew up my dad was away and my mom was uh pretty much uh raised me with with her with her mom so I grew up with two women in the house and I always thought oh you know like there's no there's not such a big difference between them and me you know I was always thinking about the difference between the sexes as this kind of uh, cultural imaginary thing yeah uh, but now you know my wife is pregnant and I can't help her I can't take the baby for mm -hmm. you know a few weeks to just carry it around in my belly if I wanted to and I and there's also a big part of me that's that's envious at, yeah. at, at this you know experience My husband just, has you know, said that. i won't be able to do that uh until science figures out a way right. <laughs> uh, and it's you know it's hard because there's um you know i was just without i guess giving too much information but there was a really cool <laughs> job that didn't work out because i of you know my pregnancy and the you know the other main supervisor also had is a, a new dad and that was fine because mm. it was a given that he was only going to take a couple weeks or but it, but even when they didn't know you know that it was still kind of like more accepted but right. then just because I'm the mom it's it, it wasn't okay because yeah. I was going to need more time off and that's not okay and it it's interesting because it, it's it I do I do think I would need more time off so I can't blame them right but at the same time it's like you want it to be fair and the same yeah you know I don't I don't know it's something I've been thinking about a lot like trying to put my head around like it, but it's just it's hard in our industry because you know when you're when you're doing a massive visual effects film you really have to devote yourself to it and it's not fair on the production to take that time off you know right. to take a month off or two months off you know and so it, if there's even the the small chance of that happening then unfortunately you can't do the film so 
I see. I mean, I, it's, it's uh, the, the rebel in me, you know, will always say, well, you know, maybe there's a problem with the whole system. Maybe mm. movies shouldn't be this big. Maybe we shouldn't do, you know, uh, 2,500 VFX shots in the film. Like why, you know, Jurassic Park was probably, you know, more influential than any current film that came, that came out in the recent years. And it only had, I don't know, 90 shots or maybe even less. I, I mean, maybe more, but definitely not anywhere near what, what people are doing nowadays. And it's, yeah, but it's it very quickly I get to the point where there's overpopulation in on Earth, and I don't <laughs> continue that sentence because yeah. <laughs> there's nothing good. Uh, I mean, it, it's hard because when you're you're such a key player on the film, mm-hmm. when and there's a handful of them, you know, department heads, and it so it makes sense. Unfortunately, that's how movies are made, and so I don't know if that's a problem with the system because I think that if department heads were that interchangeable you wouldn't have the same team camaraderie and right. collaboration that you get from, you know, really kind of going the whole journey with those people. Yeah. So it's, it, it, you know, it just has to, for me, become a, a decision. And I'm I literally just turned 40 yesterday. Oh, congrats. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Have so a it's day. a little bit crazy. I, you know, kind of waited a long time to have a family because my career was my focus and, and because I hadn't met my husband. Uh, and so it, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't even know what my point was there. But it's... I, I think the, the the next question is kind of something that we discussed earlier uh, before. Is like where, you know, where do you see your career going nowadays? And has it changed in the last few years since you've become a parent? And, you know, what is your uh, outlook at things? Or how is it different than it was before? I mean, you know, before I was, I, I was so addicted to work. I mean, that was my, that's that was my main commitment, mm-hmm. almost ninety percent of the time, probably until I met my husband, and even a little bit with my husband. You know, that was my number one focus over personal life and over anything else. And it was, it's almost like an addiction, you know, like that work and making sure that whatever lands on the screen is as perfect as possible. And, you know, and then it became learning how to lead teams and, you know, it was just always these cool new challenges. And it was, it was such a focus in my life. And it's true what everyone says. I mean, the minute, and I don't, I, I don't know if this is different in, in, you know, men and women, but at least with me, the minute I had, the minute I had my son, it all changed just that that's always looming, you know, how, what's he doing right now? You know, can I really be away from him for 12 hours? You know, how, how is yeah. he doing? Like who's putting him to bed and what did he eat today? And does he miss me? And is he okay? And how is this affecting him? Me being gone <laughs> seven days a week, 12 hours a day. And it, cause it, it does affect him, yeah. you know? And, um, is it something you kind of, you, you you would say you couldn't see until he was born or, you know? Oh, absolutely. And I used to, I mean, I, I used to not understand at all, you know, when moms needed to go home at five, but they yeah. wanted to come in early. And I would always try to be understanding, but now I have like a whole new understanding because I, I actually think that moms are able to multitask and condense you know, what they need to do. Like they're just more efficient yeah. because they, they want to get out or, you know what I mean? And so yeah. there's no, you know, kind of dicking around during the day. And I, you know, nowadays I would be absolutely flexible to someone who wanted to have like, 
you know, who could only work eight hours a day and wanted to do like eight to four, yeah. you know, and, and I would just figure it out because if they're doing a good job in those eight hours, then, you know, it's probably just as good as the 12 hours that someone right, else might someone be doing. Else. It's just, it's worth, it's worth like opening up to all different situations, you know, because yeah. it's so important that they are allowed to have a family you know, and I think that doesn't, it's not just moms. I think that actually goes for dads too. In this industry, especially, I encourage more dads to like, because it is mostly men, to be open to that, you know, to, to be a little bit more flexible. Because I yeah. think that there's a lot of, uh, a lot of room for flexibility in what we do, um, even though sometimes it's not allowed or given. And so, you know, I think that moving forward, with me at least, I, I really want to keep my career going and do these big films you know there's that part of me that's yeah. still addicted to the work and wants to and it, you know just addicted to even getting better like bettering myself and seeing how big of a project I can do and right. you know what what's, what's next ahead, right? yeah. yeah and then there's but then there's the other part that has that same addiction I guess to like wanting to have a family that's you know not dysfunctional and and has the time, you know, to become, you know, a good family and, and I want to be a, a really good mom. Um, and so, so, you know, I have these like daily struggles with, you know, what is it, did, did having kids like in some way affect also your, uh, relationship with the industry that you're in and it's kind of cultural effects on the world. I mean, you know, you're doing, you're, it's easy for us here in LA to forget that we make entertainment for the entire world. Like our films get to the rem most remote corners of, of, of the planet, places that are very different than what LA looks like. And uh, in a way we are creating culture. We're shaping the future of, you know, the future generations with our stories that we're telling. And I know that, you know, you, you don't come up with those stories yourself, but you're a part of the, the system that mm -hmm. creates them, that manufactures them. So is having uh, kids now knowing that they're going to grow up and grow into a world that you have some kind of, you know, role in shaping affect what you bring with you uh, or the projects that you would just, you know, choose to work on next and things like that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, you know, something that I was going to kind of segue into as well, which is, it, it, you know, I, you really question, like, okay, is this, is this next superhero movie? Or, you know, I actually, I personally think the superhero movies are actually great, and they have some really good um, teachings and and so I, I wouldn't even say superhero movie, but let's say horror movie. Right. Like, is this next horror movie, it, you know, even though I'm going to be making really good money and it might be fun, you know, like, what is it going to contribute to society, you know, and just the last couple of weeks with all the, the climate change action. And right. my cousin, uh, her name's Sierra Quitaquit, and she's a model, activist, professional skier. She's uh, amazing. And she... um she, you know, she's been in New York marching. She does so much for the environment. And I really admire what she's doing and what some of her friends are doing. And I feel like I've, I'm like 40 going on 80 that I'm not contributing, you know, that I have these skills and I could be contributing more to helping the world, you know, like how, who could I, so I think about that a lot. If there's anyone out there who hears this and wants to 
reach out to me. Yeah, because I I feel like there's a lot that we in visual effects, you know, just like I've I said earlier on, you know, picture it says a thousand words. That you know, I really feel like we could make beautiful imagery that could help you know, visualize like what's going on and what's going to happen in the next hundred years with the planet. And, you know, that's, that's really meaningful, yeah. you know, or even, I mean, just uh, there's like really cool stuff we could do with visual effects and technology to, you know, to help. And I, I'm sure this is happening, you know, I just need to, it's something I've been thinking about a lot, like, you know, trying to maybe get into more of, more of that, yeah. that role out of the Hollywood and into, you know, activism a little bit more. Yeah, so do we. I mean, my wife and I are also talking about about that, about like what, you know, how can we be more good to the planet, you know, and and uh, and use what our, our you know our skills and our knowledge and our to to improve on that. It's a it's a big challenge to take on. It's great that you have your cousin that you know you kind of know someone personally that actually does something and is so active in in that uh, role um great i think i mean i guess um uh, i want to ask also usually i do that at the, at the end of episodes mm-hmm. um do you have any online presence or any way for people to follow up with what you're doing uh um I am. I mean, I'm on, I'm on Facebook, but I don't really go on Facebook anymore. And so I've been thinking about deleting it, but there's so many old, you know, like contacts on there. I'm like, uh, but I am on Instagram, uh, Janelle Croshaw Rala, you know, that said, it's not a, you know, I'm not a crazy social media person. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm, I have probably the most connections on LinkedIn, (laughs) but, uh, that's, that's about it. I'm not, not huge social media. But you're approachable. I, I, I was able to, to hunt you down and to get you here. I and am. To be on the podcast. And, um, great. Is there anything else? Um, I also usually ask what kind of, what type of advice would you give to people that are starting? Like if you could give yourself a piece of advice 20 years ago, what would that be? Or today? Oh my goodness, I'm trying to think of what I get asked this, and I I need to just have like a set of a set of answers, you know. Um, I know, like you don't have to. By the way, it's, no, it's I mean, no, I always want to try to give something a little bit different, <laughs> not the same <laughs> answer every time. But and it, this is funny because I was uh, I'm going to give this answer um, based on it's my mom yesterday. She always writes on my birthday really sweet things like saying you know what she was doing like the day I was born oh wow like oh my gosh right around this time I was pacing the hallways of wherever you know trying oh, to get you crazy. to come out or whatever and so um, nice. and then you know she also reminded me because my parents had me when they were very young very opposite of my situation that at my age she had a 21 year old an 18 year old 14 and a 12 year old wow I was the oldest I was the 21 year old and so it put my head you know yesterday I was thinking a lot about when I was 21 it was funny I was already in this industry had already went to Hong Kong had worked at digital domain you know and uh, I was so intense you know and and that's something I would give my 20 year old self the advice to just relax (laughs) a little bit take it easy take up meditation 
you know, right. and it's okay to be super driven, but to also try to stay grounded and, and find yourself a bit, you know, make sure to take the time to find yourself. And not, it was so easy for me to focus on everything else and going and learning and, you know, that it's, but I don't, I don't know if that's really advice that 20 year olds can take to heart, you know, I don't know if your right. brain is capable at that point, yeah. but if they are and you're listening, you know, that's what I would so if you're ever just like, ah, life is so crazy and things are, you know, so overwhelming. It's like, you know, to try to try to remember to, to, you know, take a step back and just Put relax a little perspective, bit. perspective maybe, you know? Yeah. When I was 21, I was in the army. Mm, so wow. that helps put things in perspective for me. Absolutely. That was my, my husband, who his name's Michael Rolla, by the way. I wanted to give him credit for the welcome home. But he was in, he's from Germany and he was a paramedic because back then, I think he was the last year of it, but you had to go into, maybe it was the same for you, but he had to go and either go into the army or, you know, be a paramedic. Right. And so he was a paramedic. And mm. he says the same thing that it was such a, eye-opening experience yeah it yeah it definitely is it's like you know they put you in a situation where at least where i'm from in israel it's mandatory so you don't really even question that like you know that's what everybody at 18 wow you know goes to be in the army and then suddenly you make life and death decisions and you know you it's about it's about you know, survival. Not that I was in like, you know, kind of life and death situations, but you're trained to think in that way for a long time. It's like, this is what you do to not die. And if you don't do ABC, then you might die. And then everything else becomes much less, uh, you know, critical. Yeah, I probably uh, could have used some of that <laughs> when I was 20. <laughs> but uh, I mean, the, the reality is though, uh, I think we all should always just appreciate and celebrate life and that's that's always should be like and and i i love what you said i know it, like i was kind of wrapping up but it's you know there's no time limit on my end uh but i loved what you said about how uh what you bring to your work is realizing that there's life in everything if it's a tornado a storm or you know the face of a character or something like that i i had this like in you know nick of a question there that i didn't ask about you know as someone who's for instance on benjamin button uh, uh compositing supervisor there's so much that goes into the shot before it even gets to compositing that is about life especially the animation and stuff like that you um that is not under your wing did you well, that was a great, actually, and I didn't even finish my thought there. Thanks yeah. for bringing that up again. But the different checks right. made it possible for all of the supervisors to easily comment. And one of my, what became one of my um, kind of passions was being involved in the tracking checks and the anim checks because mm. the tracking checks were, you know, it's literally the backbone right. of him. And so if that, you know, if those clavicles in the head aren't tracking perfectly to the double that was yeah. shot then it's just a little off you yeah know? and and that contributes greatly to the shot looking off you know right. and so i had a really good eye for you know figuring out what was off in the tracks and then also the same thing with the animation you know being able to to see where the eye look at was off just a bit which mm -hmm. was causing him to look a little bit evil you know versus yeah. 
you know, not. Um, one of my big things that I did when I was a generalist was lip sync. Yeah. And some of the animated series that I worked on. And so, you know, I was really into looking at the lip sync and, you know, luckily our team was super close and actually pretty small and, you know, especially just a handful of us supervisors. So we, we were all really vocal in the process. So, so yeah, it was great. I got to, you know, uh, have more of a say, you know, or a voice, I guess, in, in those parts of the pipeline, you know, than, than normal, I think, which was, which was awesome. Yeah, that's great. And the fact you have the check allows you to be, to really tell if this is a anim problem or a exactly. dragon problem. Because you have, everyone's always pointing the finger yeah. at, you know, no, it's the comp, <laughs> the comp are screwing it up because, you know, they, they added that highlight, you know, which is true. You know, I mean, that was a big thing that we couldn't add eye highlights. To the, um, to the check? No, just in general, oh. you know, in comp, you can't, you know, a human's eyeball sits in where it sits. Right. And if the reflections aren't true reflections that the computer generates and you try to just add them, you're probably going to F it up, right. you know, nine times out of 10 mm -hmm. and 99% of the time, even, you know, you really want those reflections to be generated, you know, realistically. Yeah. And so, but so anyway, there was a lot of <laughs> finger pointing, but the, you know, it, the checks definitely made it, made it easier. Well, um, I have a thousand more questions, but it's uh, out of respect to you and our audience's time. Yes, I will wrap it up now. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Uh, Thank you. This has been fun. Great, uh, great informative conversation. I've learned a lot. And uh, I'm, I'm excited for your new baby girl uh, and, uh, and for any decision you make moving forward. Um, you know, it's it's amazing. Your your work so far has been inspiring. I didn't even get to like tell you what I you know how much I uh, it excites me all the different technologies you get to uh, to to work with and experience and and the the, the amazing directors you had a chance to. Uh, it's to a little support. scary every day. I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> like every project. I'm like, sure if we go how is this that, happening? It's... You know, how am I on another crazy? You know, I don't. I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm constantly think I don't know what I'm doing. But uh, you just kind of keep rolling with it and doing your best. Well, you clearly know something because otherwise you wouldn't be where you are. And it seems like you are. Um, you know, it, it's attributed to a great deal of hard work and. You know, I can go on forever, but thank you so much for being thank here. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And that was it. Episode 22 of the Post Post Podcast with Janelle Krosha-Rala. Again, if you've missed it, uh, check out the website to see links to her work. Uh, it's really amazing, and I'm really honored to have her on this podcast. I'm going to be back in a few weeks with the next episode. I'm not sure who it's going to be with but a lot to look forward to, I promise. Bye.